Welcome, friends, and thank you for listening. I'm Scott Sullivan, Discipleship Catalyst with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and our team exists to strengthen Georgia Baptist churches in the area of discipleship. We've developed three tools just for you. The Watershed Principle, which identifies the six main ministries of the church that must be healthy to produce world-impacting disciple-makers. The Spark Conference. Last year's conference saw over 33,000 views from 45 different states and 18 countries. This year's conference will premiere on August the 12th with best-selling author Tony Evans, Ben Mandrell, president of Lifeway, and David Kinneman, the president of the Barna Group. We also have learning communities that are set up throughout Georgia, which exist to help you finish the task of leading your family in ministry well. You can see our website to find one near you. Also, every Thursday at 3 p.m., you can catch this broadcast through Facebook, Instagram, or multiple podcast platforms. Now, let's join today's broadcast. Hey, friends, what a great day to engage with Georgia Baptist Discipleship. Reminder, we are on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and whatever podcast platform that you use. And have you heard about the Spark Conference? It's happening quickly here, August the 12th. And uh, in 2020, we had 18 countries and 45 different states registered and uh, really excited about all that is being offered this year as well. We've got Tony Evans, Ben Mandrell, Charles Lowry, David Kinneman as keynotes, just an incredible keynote and 40 different breakouts from categories from evangelism, discipleship, worship, next gen, women's ministry, missions, men's ministry, pastor wellness. So we, so we, we call this a total church health training. So the genius really of the Spark Conference is for uh, on August the 12th, for the leaders to get on there, the pastors, staff, key leaders in the church to view that. But really the genius of it is to try to get that pastor or church to host it for their leaders in their church or for an association to, to host that for all of their church leaders. So, and that's actually free. If you do that between August 12th and September the 5th, it's free, doesn't cost you anything. You can buy into 12 month access, $10 for a person, 29 for a church. And for 99, an association can get it for every church in their association. All right, let's jump into our guest this morning. Two incredible stellar guests with me. P.J. Dunn, our Southwest Discipleship Consultant here with Georgia Baptist Mission Board. He's also the president of Table for One Ministries, and in my opinion, the number one singles ministry expert in the nation. Ricky Smith is the lead pastor at Calvary Baptist in Columbus and a former next-gen catalyst at GBMB and affectionately calls himself a coffee snob extraordinaire. So, guys, thank you for jumping in with us. Good to be here. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, okay, let's start off with a really important question. Favorite food, would you go with Mexican or would you go with sirloin marsala from Carabas? Who is that posed to me or PJ? <laughs> let's, start, let's start with PJ. Oh boy. Well, I, you know, I affectionately have said many times that I don't have a food group. It's just food. So it's Mac and cheese. So if that Marsala is somehow mixed with Mac and cheese, that's my, that's my dish. That's my favorite. Mm. All right, Ricky. That's a hard one because I have oftentimes said my favorite restaurant dish is sirloin marsala with a side of fettuccine Alfredo at Carabas. So I mean, how do they even know that? Like it's just an accident that I threw that I out. I know, but I will say I could eat Mexican like seven times a day. So, <laughs> you know, it, it it's a toss. It's a win-win proposition. Yeah, I think there'll be Mexican food in 
heaven. Hey, let's jump in here because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. And Levi Skipper, our church strengthening strategist, has led our church strengthening team and some trusted pastors to look at some key areas of of bump, of of high attendance in the local church. And we call them the waves of attendance boost. And so we're creating a resource called Ride the Waves Resource that's going to help the pastor the leaders think through those three main ways, which is typically around August, back to school, January, coming out of Christmas, moving into the new school year, and then Easter, of how you can maximize that time and really do that well. So I want to mention that to you because one of the areas that we're going to deal with when we talk about that Ride the Waves initiative deals with volunteers. Now, listen, we can't mess this up. Our volunteers, I mean, basically, when you think about the church, we are a volunteer organization. So we Ricky, let me pitch this first question to you. Um, back in the fall, I wrote a, a blog called The Five Shifts That Churches Need to Consider If They're Going to Be Successful in the Futures. And one of those was called Recruiting Volunteers Versus Empowering Ministers. Just the idea that, you know, trying to get people to think more than just checking a box, but empowering them to understand that they're giving the gospel, that the first touch of that. So here's a question. What are some things that churches can do differently in the fall to get volunteers motivated in returning to serve? That's a great question. Um, I, I think I would answer that in two parts. So what can churches do? What can churches do in the fall? Those are two different mm-hmm. responses. I think uh, one of many things that this entire pandemic season has exposed is the weakness and what we thought was effective disciple making. So to truly respond to the need, it's a disciple making question. Uh, maturing believers to the to understand their pursuit and faithfulness of Christ, and that ministry is then going to find them. It's not like I find ministry and then all of a sudden I grow in faith. No, I grow in faith and then God brings that ministry to me. And so uh, it, I think we've all been exposed to some weaknesses in our disciple-making strategy. At the same time, I hope some of us have been encouraged to really see our core strengthened together. Um, so I, I would think the long play answer is going to be a disciple-making response. The short-term answer in how we respond to August, um, it, you know, Scott and PJ, I, I don't have data to reinforce or validate this. This is nothing but a gut check feeling of how we're leading our team. Uh, The sense is most like everybody else, you know, we're 50%, we're 60 or 70% of what we were pre-COVID, but we still have a a big chunk of our church that I don't think the FBI could even find them. And so (laughs) the question is, are they gonna come back? Well, my gut is we're gonna see a resurge of our people by the second or third week in August Hmm. from those that are sensing that the rearview mirror of COVID is in place. uh, And, and now that's kind of just that natural restart. So, and the converse of that, I think if we haven't seen them return by the end of August, they're not coming back. So um, we are essentially treating our relaunch of August as if we are a church plant, but replanting ourselves in terms of how we communicate and cast a vision internally to our church. I think the the challenge of any leader, however, is having the foresight to say, 
I can't wait until August to recruit the volunteers that I need for what I expect to be mm -hmm. present. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're being very intentional about our volunteer recruitment, our retraining of people, and even uh, reevaluating some systems that uh, I, I would I would like to say that as a church, our infrastructure was very system integrated and pretty robust, but even a lot of those systems were broken because a the people weren't present or we didn't have enough people to do them. So we're having to reassess and even rebuild some of our internal systems and automations that we had in place. So uh, I, I can drill down to any of that further if you'd like, if there's some follow-up questions. That's really good. And PJ, I want to I get your thoughts on this, uh, but it, Ricky, your comment reminded me of a quote from Warren Buffett that said, when the tide goes out, we see who's been skinny dipping. It's just the idea that, that when things get a bit tough, we get to see those who are really committed and those who weren't. It's kind of that test of where we genuinely were with our faith. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard from leaders when they were, they were saying things like, I really thought this person or this family was core, and now we can't find them anywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, man, just a great thought, man. It's a struggle that, that you're having as a pastor that we empathize with. Jay, uh, PJ, what are, what are some thoughts you have on this issue about volunteers? Yeah. Uh, so my previous church, I was the volunteer coordinator uh, in that ministerial role, trying to, to help you know, at our church, we had 750 volunteers and we were trying to have a unified aligned strategy for um, training them and for equipping them, but also for getting new people. You know, how do we get more people into volunteerism? So so gaining volunteers is nothing new to any of us in ministry. We've always struggled with it. Very few people will ever say, man, we just have too many people. I don't know what to do with them. And I know in, in my, my time serving as a singles pastor, when I had too many people to serve, I just made up a title and then they were serving. And then they invited people to, to serve. You know, there's never enough, enough roles there. But you know, coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, as we're as we're looking towards the fall, it it really is a um, it's a different air. And 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 you know, in this consultant role, we get to talk with a lot of churches. And on our discipleship team, we meet weekly, and and we say, you know, this is what I'm hearing from this church or this church. So this is really you know, kind of a response from Georgia. So I just wanted to talk about three things that we're hearing about volunteers heading into the fall. And so, I mean, the first one is that volunteers are just slow to return to serve. So if they're slow to come back to church, they're even slower about volunteering to come back to church. And then on top of that, they don't want a commitment. I mean, we all got hurt by making commitments last year. Amen. And we thought that we were going to do spark in person at one point last year and God had other plans. And so after you, you, you get hit in the wall so many times with making a plan, you just say, well, I'm not going to make a plan anymore. And so when it comes to volunteering, volunteers don't want to say, I'm going to be here till Jesus returns. They, they, and we can unpack that a little bit more in this broadcast, but I think they're really hesitant to commit to every week. You know, when we used to be able to get that Sunday school teacher every single week, they're like, eh, maybe I'm an every other week person. They're, they're really timid about going all in on that. The second thing is that volunteers are just critically low levels in age graded areas. Our age graded areas on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night programming, um, going to camp, all those things, we are just hearing across the board saying we just don't have enough volunteers um, to the point where we don't know if we can even open the preschool hall on Sunday morning and how do we deal with that and how do we how do we be guest friendly when we can't even you know get what we thought we we took for granted that this would always happen on Sunday mornings and now it doesn't happen anymore and 
You know, third is just that churches are evaluating um, program sustainability based on that shortage. If I don't have the volunteers, I don't know if I can do it, but we feel like we're called to it. So if we have this mission and vision that says, you know, God has called us to this, but we don't have the people to fund it. It's not always just a money resource. You know, Ricky, I'm sure your church, um, I feel like you said this to me too, but several churches had increases in giving because we had decreases in spending. So not, people aren't saying we don't have a, a money resource right now. They're saying that we don't have the people resource and the people resources is turning to be harder than that. So Ricky, I want to, I want to know more from you. Um, I mean, you just, you have a great way of kind of breaking these things down. So, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, how you evaluate program sustainability uh, based on volunteers. That's a great question. I think for us, it started with just being very honest with our congregation and very publicly vocal with them. Uh, not in a, uh, that can quickly be oftentimes perceived in a condescending way. It wasn't. We tried to make sure we, we verbalized things in a very positive way. But as we were opening back up, um, we just were very clear to say, hey, we all know what we desire but we are only going to do what we can sustain and what we can and we can staff it. It's a good word with excellence. And so I just said, Hey, we will go back a hundred percent in every area as long as you are coming with us, but we are not going to put that pressure on our staff because we are already stretched to the max. Mm -hmm. So uh, our priority in doing that was at the lowest age level. Uh, so we started with heavy emphasis on staffing our preschool and children's environments. Uh, now, even that, PJ, to your question directly, we, we don't yet have the number of volunteers that we had. Uh, but at the same time, thankfully, you know, the, the gradual increase of numbers of participants didn't require as much of a staff. You know, yeah. our pre-COVID, our typical kids world volunteer required about 100 people on a Sunday morning. Well, we didn't need that many staff, but we still had to make sure we did it with excellence. And so uh, that was our emphasis. And that was done by uh, casting the wide net. But I think, I think the danger that some leaders may feel when we feel stress and panic, we forget some of the basics of recruitment. You know, the we all, I hope, have learned the best way to recruit a volunteer is eye to eye, face to face. And so, uh, you know, while we communicate the need at large, it was going back to our previous volunteers face to face, recruiting new ones face to face, and just slowly but surely starting to rebuild that system and infrastructure. So well, and what, what you're saying, Ricky, is I can't, I can't send an email out to everybody and it just fix itself. Are you saying it takes a little no. bit more than that? Yeah, that is, that is, that is not going to happen. That is correct. So I think furthermore to your, to your direct question though, PJ, we certainly uh, adjusted some of our programming. For example, our midweek kids world, uh, we went full back in person on Sunday morning but we did not have the volunteer staff to go full back in person midweek. So keeping with what I told the church family, okay, that's going to stay virtual and until we're able to staff it. Now our plan is on in August, that's going to all be back uh, full in person as our normal schedule and be able to be fully staffed. But, you know, we, we went through a phased approach as the staff went in, it was, um, Hey, we're going to, we're going to cluster our aging 
differently um, to, to staff it well. And then as the numbers increased or as the staff increased proportionately of volunteers, then we began to break out those age. But for us, we were not going to compromise the quality uh, and our standards of expectations just because we didn't have the people. We were going to scale scale our content delivery in proportion to the volunteers that we had and then adjust accordingly. That is so good, Ricky. Let me drag a highlighter over something you just said, because I think the comment you just made is one of the best statements that I've heard during the pandemic when you said, we are willing to go back as fully as we can, as long as you as church members are willing to journey with us, man, because that gives vision to where you're going, which is what people are looking for. They, they need somebody to, to a leader to lead here, give us a plan for where we're going, but it requires buy-in from the church member. Gracious. I hope that uh, those who are viewing, you're putting this down, writing that on in your notes. That's a great comment. Now, Ricky, here's another question that I've got for you. Volunteer culture. We know that's critically important to everything that we do in, in the culture that we set is also important for people to serve and to maintain that. So how all, how are you doing that at Calvary? How are you developing a culture where people are expected to serve, but they also enjoy that serving moment? Great question. I, I, I think there's three things, uh, expectation, appreciation, and just plain old fun. Mm. So uh, the expectation comes for us, it starts uh, at the new member orientation level. Mm as people are coming in, hey, we share this together as we say around here, and this was probably copied from somebody way back in the day, every member is a minister and every minister ought to have a ministry. You probably heard that before. Uh, Well, that's an ongoing mantra in our culture that uh, our our pastors and our staff, uh, we're the under shepherds and we are equipping you to do this work. And so that's the expectation. That's the language that we used often. So if you want to do it, who's going to do it? Um, there's expectation appreciation. Uh, every volunteer that we have is assigned to a staff member at somewhere on the tree. Now we do have the advantage that several many churches don't, and that we do have a pretty large staff, but either way, I think a church, even a small church, could, could do this organizationally where there is an assignment of that volunteer to somebody paid or unpaid that's going to value them, encourage them, appreciate them. Uh, for example, just yesterday for me, it was, and this even isn't even in my lane, but I hope this is a challenge that senior pastors can hear. Hey, I want a list of every person that has come back as a volunteer in kids world because mm. I need to handwrite them a note of thank you and appreciation. Mm. Um, and just, you know, some people do these extreme volunteer appreciation days and roll out the red carpet. And we used to do that, but truthfully, we stopped doing that because A, our, our actual volunteers didn't like it, but B, uh, there's more value in the, the little things along the way. Uh, I'd rather, if I'm a volunteer, I'd rather get 35 encouraging text messages or phone calls in the year than a one day bring me on stage and give me a t-shirt. So uh, just that culture of appreciation, but then just doing anything that we can do to make it fun. Uh, And, you know, if that is a 
you know, our youth pastor putting on a Macho Man Savage costume and passing out Slim Jims or, or whatever we got to do, you know, to to have an, a culture of uh, we're going to have fun around here, you know, and uh, it's not always, you know, sucking prune juice and eating lemons, you know, let's have some fun. PJ, did I did I just hear a '90s wrestling reference? That's what I heard, and that was about to slam into a sushi. That is so awesome. Hey, uh, I, I've I, if you want me to step off camera, I could put the costume on and come back <laughs> in. That'd be, that'd be so great. Uh, PJ, I was like a Hogan fan myself, but that's fine. yeah. Hey, PJ, let me pitch something to you here just for a second, because we know that we, you know, eighty nine percent of our churches run less than two hundred people in their church, and maybe maybe greater number now since the pandemic. Yeah. So think think with me from the smaller church perspective, because where I am, you know, where I was in Halton, which is actually where I am in this office right now, for my friend Gavin Spinney, the pastor, let me use that while I'm passing through. And then where Ricky is now is a little bit larger church. But but I know we're going to get a question about what about the smaller church? Yep. You know, the pastor can't oversee all of these different ministries, all of these, you know, kind of things. Give me some nuggets for that smaller church to think about who's saying, okay. I know we got to have volunteers. I know we need to do that well. How can I possibly do that and then take care of all the other needs that I do as a pastor? Yeah, so um, I'm going to name call people, all right? I know we're not supposed to get super specific, but I'm going for it, all right? So uh, Clay Clay Cloud is down at Hopeful Baptist Church, and Hopeful Baptist Church is um, about the biggest thing in town and hopeful. That's how they would describe it. And so he calls me and says, and we're just really struggling with our volunteers. We're in about 110. We're, you know, under that right now post COVID, but we're really kind of, you know, seeing some good, good things. What do I do? I said, man, I'd love to talk to you. You know, who do you have that can be a point person for that? So he grabs his chairman of the deacons and we go and we have breakfast in town over at the gas station. We're having breakfast and we're talking and we go through the whole thing, right? How do you appreciate? How do you celebrate? And how do you train? Do you have any kind of an infrastructure for that? And, and the chairman of the deacons just goes, no, I don't think we've ever done anything like that, right? He's been there for years. He grew up there. His parents went there. And he said, but that'd be really cool to do something as an appreciation thing. I was like, well, don't make it like a thing you have to do all every year. It's not a thing. Just do it one time. Like out of COVID, thank you, volunteers. And so they did it. Um, they're they're going to do it. And it's, in, it's uh, you know, and, and, and they're, they're going to invite just their volunteers and they're going to do it. But they've never done something like that. And that's in a very different place from like where Ricky's at, where they've done that. It's kind of run its course. And it's like, man, I don't really need that dinner. Like, I'd much rather you know me. I want to be known by you rather than that. Well, in, in their church, they've never done something just for volunteers because everybody's invited to everything. So it made it exclusive and it made it really good for them. So it does scale down. All of these things scale up and down because they're principles. And so they're now doing this appreciation thing and they're going to do a training thing. And I'm coming on a Sunday night to train all of their volunteers on one night. Um, and kind of do a rally kind of thing. And that's a big thing for them. So you, you don't have to run, you know, a thousand people to, to pay attention to your volunteers. But if you take them for granted and, and you run under 100 people on Sunday morning, I feel like the pain point is higher because mm. you start ending up with a culture where nobody wants to volunteer. And I have a pastor who's a dear friend who I won't name, but, you know, he says nobody will volunteer. I mean, just something simple like who will take the trash out on Thursdays? You know, I'm a bivo pastor. Somebody help me. We have 20 people in this church and nobody will do it. And you don't want to end up with a culture that does that. So these principles are important so that we keep people um, motivated and we keep them called to what God said. You know, we have to serve, right? To be a, to be a disciple, Ricky, is to, is to serve. And, and so when we lose that, it's hard to get it back. 
Awesome. Good word. Now, Ricky, I've got one more question for you. And then, PJ, you can chime in again uh, after Ricky's response. So what is one thing, when you think about where we're headed, going into the fall, what is one thing that will be different about volunteering as we come out of COVID and we enter the fall, which we hope is continuing to enter in a post-COVID world? What's one thing that you see being different about volunteering? Uh for us in our church, uh, it would be better organization for mm. us. Um, meaning, PJ was throwing out some incredibly good principles. And while while you were mentioning those, a few of those came to my mind. And I'm going to circle back to the word I just used. Uh, one principle would be, you know, the whole aim small, miss small principle. A lot of times if I'm at a smaller church, I immediately compare myself to a, a larger church and have in the back of my mind, I have to recreate everything that they're doing in order to compete. Well, can wow. we just get over this competition mentality and realize we're all advancing the kingdom? Good word. You can't do everything. So what can you do and do it really, really well? You know, I'd rather see a church do one or two things great than try to do 10 things poorly. Mm-hmm. Um the second thing I would, I've often encouraged people is don't start anything if you can't sustain it. And sustainability is going to require staffing. It's going to require funding. It's going to require vision. It's better not to even start it than to do it with energy, get everybody excited, and it fizzles out in three months. That gets really more difficult to cast vision in the future. But coming back to your, your question to me directly and my response for organization, uh, was it Maxwell who said initially, like every organization is functioning exactly how it is structured to function? True. So um, if I'm realizing, we are all realizing that I think the backbone or infrastructure of church organization, even as it relates to our volunteers, needs to look different. Some specific ways for us, like we're even reorganizing how our discipleship groups are structured to make some assimilation bridges to our uh, our first-time guests to draw them in. Hmm. Uh, reorganizing, we're organi- reorganizing even our staffing structure, our paid staff structure to better prop up and brush through some silos. But as it relates to volunteer, some of our organization that can be better to communicate better, uh, to equip and train people better, but also to to validate PJ's points, to reduce the, the frequency that they're needed. Uh, I, I think there's been several folks, if an example would be an usher. This gentleman has been an usher for 30 something years. And this was his opportunity to in love say, I think I need a break. Well, you know what? I guess I think you've earned a break, but shame on us for ever putting you in that position where you are expected to do something every week for 30 years. So uh, we don't have that all figured out, but we're honest with ourselves enough to realize um, we're not like going to rebuild the whole engine, but what are some small organizational changes that we can make in communication, in accountability, in training and in frequency? Yeah. Good word. PJ. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of tired of um, people telling me that they have to leave church to get a break. And so, you know, when when Miss Betty's been serving as a greeter for 30 years at her church and she feels release when she goes to a new church because she doesn't have to do that every Sunday, what she's communicating to you is that she was overworked. And so what I one thing I, I would desire for everybody listening to the broadcast and, and what we would share in our circle of friends 
Um, we just need to have end dates on serving. We can't just keep saying serve till Jesus returns. You know, these open-ended statements of serving may have worked in the past. I'm not sure if they ever really did. I just think they all have a, a shelf life. But I have seen fruit when we say, can you just serve this fall with me? And then we'll talk about it in January. Like that, that we're, we're scared that we're going to lose people, right? It's the, it's the how do you catch a monkey principle? Well, if I catch him and he can't let go of the fruit in the cage, then he'll never run away. And then I'll have the monkey. But when we do that, we really don't, we don't really get what we want, right? We just get somebody that's held in cap, captivity and they're, and they're doing that same thing over and over again in first grade. And we're happy that it's staffed, but they're not happy. And so we need to give them the freedom to move to the second grade class to take a semester off. Hey, my kids in softball and I really can't do the fall this year, but I can do spring. And so what you get right now when you say, well, you serve till Jesus returns is people won't say anything and then they don't serve at all. So just give some terms on, on volunteering. And I think we'll see increased volunteerism in our churches. Sounds great. And as we close our time out here together, just had a thought, perhaps the most important question that our church can relate to volunteers just may be, do we want people to experience our church or experience Jesus through you in our church? Because the reality is when people are serving, um, they can many times be the first touch with people's lives as we come to see them know the Lord and then walk as a disciple. And um, that thing that, that you elevate is going to be what you replicate. So make sure that from the stage, in your leadership meetings, in your promotional materials, materials that you, you lift up Jesus above all else, but that you also let people know that a priority in this church, to be a member of this church, to be a biblical church member, is to serve. And you are gifted to do that. Your committees, your programs, your powerful stage presence, your personality, your oratory prowess, your catchy vision statements, wearing your 1989 Michael Jordan high tops, your stirring infographics, all of those are great, but they're not going to transform. Only a relationship with Jesus is going to do that. And helping our church members and volunteers understand that they are many times that first touch of helping people become a uh, a person who knows Jesus as Savior and walk as a disciple, when they know that's why they're serving, man, they'll serve with better integrity and better passion. PJ, you have any, any books that you would recommend on this topic of volunteers? Yeah, we always like passing out books, right? So Volunteer Church um, is a great book and uh, Volunteer Effect is a great book that you can go um, download, read on your e-reader and all those kind of things. But but you're, you're never going to change your, your culture uh, of volunteerism unless you invest in it, just like so many things we talk about. So picking up a book, but, but don't just read it yourself, right? Grab a, grab a volunteer, grab a friend, grab a deacon and say, would you read this book with me? I'd love to see what you get out of it too. Sounds awesome. Ricky Smith, thank you for joining us today. And I thought you were awesome before you came on here, but I just have to tell you, friend, my appreciation for who you are, for what you were doing at the convention before I even got here. What you're doing as a pastor has just gone through the roof. Man, your wisdom, those nuggets of, of, um, of things that you're doing well and, and, uh, and appreciation for the people that serve in your church. Man, I'm just grateful for you for being a part of uh, Georgia Baptist Convention. And Dr. P.J. Dunn, thank you for producing for us today and for being a guest. And friends, we want to thank you for engaging with Georgia Baptist Discipleship. And I pray today's broadcast will help you leverage influence with volunteers as we seek to make world-impacting disciple-makers. 
Thanks for listening to Georgia Baptist Discipleship Podcast. And we want to give you a gift. The five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can get this by going to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com. That's ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com. This five page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist that may surprise you. It will help you learn why programs are killing your discipleship. The number one default worker strategy that keeps churches from empowering their ministries. Learn the OGV factor and how it can revolutionize discipleship, attendance, and evangelism in your church. Again, go to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptist to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org forward slash discipleship. And by the way, if you found this content helpful, we sure hope you'll share it with a friend. And thanks so much for partnering with us to make world-impacting disciple-makers.